Welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast. My name is Dan, and as usual, today we're going to be talking some professional volleyball. Today we're going to be doing the weekly pro recap, as well as talk about a meeting that went on between some of volleyball's biggest stars and the FIVB. And as well, I'm going to do maybe like a quick uh, Italian playoffs preview, as well as go over my best players for the Italian Super League, similar to how I did it for Poland uh, last week. So why don't we start off with that uh, juicy news piece we had come out this week, which is some of the biggest stars in volleyball and Kevin Tilly met with the FIVB, FIVB to discuss a contentious issue that has been the topic of many, many volleyball forum topics and bar conversations, which is that there are too many games in the summers for players on their national teams to participate in. So I'm sure this is a topic that a lot of you feel very strongly about if you're a fan of the game or a player of the game or pretty much anyone. I think you side on the you're on the side of the players who want to, there to be less national team games, a less uh, difficult schedule for them because a lot of times they are playing far, far too many games. Anyway, the players that met with the FIVB brass include Bruno, Micah Christensen, Ivan Zaitsev, and then... So I mentioned earlier jokingly Kevin Tilly, but he's you know he's a smart guy. I wouldn't say he's a face of volleyball, but he's still a player that's a lot of influence. And then Giba, the Brazilian Olympic medalist, also participated in the meeting. I believe there also might have been some representation from a couple of different clubs and national federations, more more on the management side, because clubs also have a vested interest in having their players play less games. While I don't expect anything to happen this summer, I think just opening the discussion is a huge step for the FIVB's part. I mean, I don't want to give them too much credit because they should have, you know, had this discussion many, many years ago. But I think it's a really good sign that they're kind of maybe getting over their ego a bit and actually allowing some discussion to be happened between the players and, you know, the ruling body of the FIVB. I don't know if it was the threat of a professional players union that was worrying the FIVB. That's why they decided to have this meeting or just, you know, they're deciding to feel extra generous recently. But anyway, it's a good thing the meeting is happening. And we don't know exactly what was said during the meeting, but I think we can make a pretty educated guess as to what they were talking about. The first issue, of course, and the crux of this is that there are just simply too many games, too many events going on in the summers, which, you know, between the professional players' club season. So just for example, this summer, this includes events like Nations League, which is five different weekends in five different locations. Pretty crazy. And then we also have the Olympic qualifiers, which obviously are an incredibly important part of the national team schedule for everyone. And, you know, our pretty big commitment for that, too. Then we have the World Cup taking place in Japan, which is very far away from home for the majority of players. And we also have Euro Volley for all the European nations which is a very intense schedule similar to the World Championships last year. A lot of games kind of played in a 15, 16, 17, 18 day period, depending on how far each team makes it. So between those four tournaments, it's just an incredible amount of games to be played, playing in multiple countries, playing in many different conditions, doing a ton of traveling. It's just really tough. So some of the issues specific issues regarding kind of surrounding the issue of playing too many games. The main one, I think, is the injury risk for the players. 
We've seen a lot of high-profile injuries uh, during the last season, including to Micah Christensen, who has missed the last couple of weeks with what seems like an overuse injury. And one of the guys that I actually think of in particular when I think about this one is TJ Sanders, who had a really aggressive schedule playing with Team Canada and in his club teams the last few seasons. And then this summer, he wasn't able to participate really with Team Canada at the World Championships because, and, and if you haven't checked this out, I recommend checking out this interview on YouTube with Volleyball Source, between Volleyball Source and TJ Sanders, really informative stuff. And TJ basically said that, you know, it's just a chronic overuse injury from so much volleyball over the last decade, just the continuous grind of playing your professional club season and then going and training with your national team and traveling around the world. It doesn't give a lot of time to kind of build up your stabilizers, build up your muscles, and it causes chronic overuse injuries, especially in the back, knees, and shoulders. And I believe during this meeting, specific issues were brought up uh, for the French and Team USA, who I've said before on this podcast, I think Team USA would have won the world championships probably if they were fully healthy. So I think they are really feeling the negative effects of a really tough national team schedule. And then also, there's a lot of travel time for the players. I think Ivan Saitsev was the one who brought up a just monumental journey for the Italian national team when they were traveling to Argentina. And I feel like, I think it was from China or Japan they were traveling to Argentina. Somewhere, I feel like somewhere in Eurasia. <laughs> it's pretty vague. But anyway, it was like a 42-hour journey it was because, you know, a lot of the times these guys are going in the Nations League to not even the biggest cities, cities without international airports. So they have to land in the country and then it might be another 10 or so hours of travel before they make it to these smaller towns. So obviously a lot of travel time is just part of the job when it comes to being a professional athlete. But some of the traveling, especially when it comes to the Nations League, where you're, you know, literally traveling constantly around the world for over a month like to every single corner of the globe, it seems sometimes. I think that seems unnecessary and a little ridiculous if you ask me that you're asking these six foot seven, six foot eight guys to sit in a lot of times kind of commercial airliners and fly all over the world and, just, and sit in these tiny buses. It, it really is quite tough on the players, you know, increases the injury risk. Like I said, this is time that they could have spent training or being with their families or, you know, relaxing, improving their skills. Basically, a lot of other productive things could be done during this insane travel time. And I get that the FIVB wants to show the sport to as wide an audience as possible. And the fact that they're able to get this super high level volleyball into these smaller towns that most likely would never get to see something like that otherwise, is that's a commendable effort. And I like the idea of that they're doing that. But as the game is getting more popular and more accessible worldwide, are we willing to sacrifice the health, not just uh, physically, but the mental health of our top level players in order to provide physical volleyball to uh, all these different places? It's a tough question, and I, I think personally that it's not worth it. I think the entire Nations League tournament was, was probably a big focus of this event because a, it doesn't count for Olympic qualification or World Championship qualification. It doesn't count for any national team ranking points. Uh, it doesn't have a huge monetary benefit even if you win. So it's mostly just a showcase for volleyball uh, to places all over the world, trying getting the sport more popular, which again is, is an important part. And I think it's great that the players do get behind it and do participate in this. But I think we have to operate the tournament in a way 
that respects all the stakeholders involved and doesn't just sacrifice the players and I'm talking about the players, but all this stuff affects the training staff and the coaching staff that's traveling with the team as well. Those guys uh, often put in really long hours on these trips and on these tournaments, and they're very affected by all these issues as well. Another thing kind of relating to the mental health aspect of it is that there's not really an offseason if you're an American player that finishes Champions League, like Micah Christensen, for example. You finish Champions League in May, like a week and a half later, you're going and participating in Nations League with your team. Maybe you get one weekend of Nations League off. Maybe you get two, but still not really enough to like rest your body and take a vacation and visit your family. You might be able to see see your wife and kids maybe briefly, and then you're off again on flying to the next destination for Nations League. Then you have maybe have a two-week break, and then you're training for the Olympic qualifiers because you probably want to start training for that a few weeks ahead of time. Then again, maybe like a week or two of break, if that. And then you're playing in the World Cup. Or if you're someone on the Polish or French team, you don't even have that break and you're just straight to Eurovolley and then literally going from Eurovolley in Slovenia or wherever it, you're participating in it in and then going to Japan for the World Cup. So I, I don't know how these guys do it because there's really not a long break for, for any of them. Obviously, if you're not part of a national team, you actually have a pretty good summer which is why there's always rumors going around. That's why the Cubans are so good for their clubs is because they get to take the entire summer off and rest and train their body and get their minds ready and just able to focus completely on club volleyball. And I think that's uh, an issue for a lot of the players as well is that you know they're making, the, they're making their living playing club volleyball. They're not making a living playing for their volleyball federation. And sure, if you win a big tournament or something, you might get a bit of a kickback, but... It's split so many ways that it ultimately doesn't really matter too much in the end. And a lot of guys are, I mean, they got their expenses paid for, but they're not coming home really with anything when they're playing for their national teams. So it really is a bit of a risk to their livelihood to continue playing for their countries. And I, and I respect them so much for, you know, most of the guys go out and play for their country as much as they possibly can. And I think that's awesome. But, you know, just from a purely utilitarian point of view, it is really risky for them. Because if they get injured, a lot of contracts in volleyball aren't guaranteed, especially for, you know, the fringe guys are risking huge amounts to go uh, play for the countries. And as volleyball players slowly, slowly, very slowly, but surely start to get paid more money, I think this is going to become an even more important part of the discussion as the clubs are paying these players a lot of money and they also don't want to risk their investment by having a player get injured during their national team season. And I think that's why you see like in the NBA, for example, a lot of players in the NBA will not play for their national team or are heavily uh, disincentivized to go play for them by their NBA club because they don't want to, you know, lose their investment. These In the NBA, they're paying these guys like tens of million dollars a year. If you lose that, that's just a massive amount of money to be lost. So I think those are probably the main issues that the FIVB and Bruno, Micah, Zaitsev discussed. I think it's great that the FIVB is opening up this discussion and, you know, actually, you know, <laughs> trying to step volleyball in the right direction. I think it's a, it's a really good thing. Hopefully they can take this energy and put it into, you know, other parts of the sport and other issues in the sport. And I think that kind of relates to one of the other things is that, 
you know, you're playing all these Nations League games to promote the sport, to become, to make volleyball become more popular. But I think there's different ways of doing that that have massively better return on investment. Like the social media stuff the FIVB doing, is doing right now is definitely not even close to what some of the other more popular leagues are doing. Uh, there's no real media support. Like there's no podcasts. The articles are very sparse and don't come out that often. They're I don't know. They're just they're not doing things that a lot of big sports leagues do to promote the sport that are a lot less expensive than having these gigantic multinational volleyball tournaments every single year. So I hope we can hear about what they discuss further. I hope they don't take too long to implement the changes, although I doubt much will happen before the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, but step in the right direction. The Italian regular season finally finished after 26 exciting rounds of volleyball and we have our playoff matchups which will be starting this weekend in the last weekend of action modena guaranteed their home court in the first round with a narrow win against verona who almost uh, came back to defeat the canaries and then monza with a loss to trentino 3-1 and then padova with a 3-0 win over latina they swapped so now uh, Padova's ahead. So these are your matchups for the first round of the Italian Superliga playoffs. Your 1-8 matchup is Perugia versus Monza. Monza has been a really exciting team to watch this year. Oleg Plotnitschki and Zonovan Zavaranuk have been just a revelation this year. Two, two like 21-year-olds 20, just tearing it up as starters in the highest level league in the world. Viktor Yosifov, just an amazing blocker, really fun to watch. And then whoever they have at opposite between Bucheger and Gafor has done a good enough job, but definitely the star of the show in Monza is those two outsides, Zavaranuk and Plotnitschki. I don't think they'll have what it takes to take down Perugia, obviously. Perugia, really, really strong service team, and Monza, not the strongest passing team, so they could just be served off the court. But I think if Monza manages to retain Plotnitschki, which... Sounds like they might actually do, believe it or not. I think they have a really good chance of being a contender a few years down the line. The 2-7 matchup is Trentino versus Padova. Trentino has looked really good. Just came off a win in the CV Cup today, breaking their losing ways in that event the last few years. Again, I honestly, I actually think Monza was a stronger team overall than Padova. Padova losing arguably probably actually probably their second best player in Luigi Randazzo to a pretty brutal ACL tear earlier on in the season. Riley Barnes was brought in to replace him but hasn't really found his way with the team yet although he did end the season fairly strong and Lazar Sirovich isn't exactly someone you want starting at this level of play anyway. I think this matchup will be the most one-sided and I expect Trentino to sweep Padova. Then we have Cucine Lubici Vitanova versus Verona. On paper, this should be an exciting matchup. You know, Verona has some really strong players. Sebastian Sole is my personal pick for best, best middle in the league. Boye hasn't had his best season ever, but is a really good blocker and server. And if he gets hot in attacking, he can win a game by himself. Matej Kaziski has given this team a completely different identity since he was picked up midway through the season. But despite all that, 
Lubia Civitanova, I think, is just playing, you know, coming into their own later on in the season. Bruno took a surprisingly long time to find connection with his outside hitters Juan Tran and Leo, and especially Robert Landy Simon, but that seems to have completely dissipated and he is, this offense is just humming along, probably the best uh, side out offense in the league, and I expect Luigi Vitanova, maybe not the easiest battle ever, but they should comfortably take it, especially if Yoandria Leo can learn to pass a ball, because he will be targeted a lot by Verona. And then the biggest matchup, my favorite one by far, I think the one that everyone's looking forward to the most, and that's uh, Modena versus Milano in the 4-5 matchup. These teams have had some really good battles this season with both teams beating each other 3-0. Modena won the first matchup in the fourth round, and then Milano won the second matchup 3-0. But I think these teams have kind of trended in opposite directions. Modena started out the year really well with that win in the Super Cup. But then, you know, as we all know, Zaitsev hasn't been playing as well. Micah was injured. Nobody knows what's going on with the Modena middles. Salvatore Rossini isn't passing as well. The team just doesn't seem to have, you know, the energy that a typical Modena team would have. And then Milano's the other direction. You know, they got Namir Abdelaziz back when he was injured at the start. Stephen Marr and Trevor Cleveno have looked like one of the best outside pairings in the entire league. Jan Kozomernik has really come into his own. You know, the whole team's just playing together really well. Spertoli's just got so much swagger right now. So I think, you know, obviously Modan is the typical titan of the Italian Super League. Milano, you know, they haven't won anything yet. So it'll be exciting to see, you know, the upstart team versus like the kind of more veteran team with the star players in Zaitsev and Micah Christensen. And unfortunately, I can see it coming down to health a bit with Zaitsev, you know, looking a bit more sluggish this season, although maybe he's just been saving some energy for the playoffs. And Micah Christensen obviously coming off a back surgery recently. And Milano also dealing with uh, recent injuries to Demir Abdelaziz and Steven Marr. So I think I think these teams match up so excitingly. Namir versus Zaitsev is an epic battle. I think Ernaut versus Cleveno, the both really top-tier outside players. I think there might be a little bit of chippiness. We've seen that from Modena several times throughout the season, including an incident uh, last week, which won't probably get into too much. But if you know the Russell Westbrook incident in the NBA against Utah, it's it was similar to that with Modena. But this matchup, you know, definitely the one I'm going to be keeping an eye on the most. I don't know which way it's going to go. I think if I had to choose a team to win, I actually think it would be Milano. I think they've been playing really well when they're at their peak. I think Morena is just too rattled mentally at this point in the season. They haven't really uh, won too much. They got knocked out of the Champions League already, so... Just not a lot going right for the city of luxury sports cars this year. All right, we should move it along if we want to get to everything I want to talk about in this podcast. But that was, I think that was some really interesting discussion. I really want to hear your guys' thoughts on the FIVB meeting stuff. And also, I want to hear your playoff predictions. If you have any, let me know if you think Modan will easily cruise by Milano or there is an upset potential matchup that I didn't consider. All right, so let's do our winners of the week. So I just got done trash-talking Modena, but they're actually one of my nominations for winner of the week, just for a couple small things. They got the home court. 
that was huge. I think Modena has a great home crowd, quite quite an aggressive home crowd, really always packed. I think they sold out every single match this year, so crazy for them. And they also got Micah Christensen back, who I think the gap is narrowed for me a bit, but he's he's definitely still just about the best setter in the world. He's right up there. We'll see what he does in this playoffs, back from injury and also this summer. But, you know, upgrading from Wessel Kiemink, with who, you know, filled in, didn't do a great job, but, you know, good for him for stepping in to a role that he was not expected to have. But the upgrade from Kiemink to Christensen is just absurdly huge. We've seen it already with just in a massive improvements of performance in that last game against Verona and obviously Micah Christensen winning MVP for that match. So they're one nomination. Second nomination, Dusan Pekovic, who was the leading scorer of the Italian league. Not a huge name. You probably wouldn't know him unless you were an avid follower of volleyball. But he is a Serbian opposite who scored 590 points this year in the Italian Super League. It's over six a set. So very impressive stuff from him. Uh, I actually believe that was the all-time scoring record in the regular season, which is crazy to think about given how many player good players we've had in the Italian Super League over the years. But, you know, he's a great player, but I also think he benefited from just getting set a ton of balls because he was not necessarily the most efficient player in the world. So I think Sora just relied on him so much to get their offense going. And they're actually, Sora ended up, ended up finishing ninth. So... Good job, Dusan Pikovic. Well done. Unfortunately, he still will probably never get time on the Serbian national team, given that they have Atanasijevic and Drazen Lubric playing ahead of him, two of the best opposites in the world. But this is still a great accomplishment that deserves recognition in his own right. But my ultimate winner of the week, or weekend, I guess, is Wilfredo Leon, who set, you know, respect to Pekovic for setting the all-time scoring record, but I think... This record is a lot more impressive because he absolutely obliterated it. And that's the ace record set by Leon at 94 aces, which was 1.06 a set. And unbelievably, the record before this performance was Osmani Wantarena with 67 aces in 2012. So Leon pretty much beat it by almost 50%, which is just absolutely crazy to think about that he was just on such another level that from any player that's played in the Italian league before it felt like every time he went to the service line this year it was an event everyone was holding their breath seeing if he would go on one of those classic like four or five ace runs and by the way 94 aces does not mean he caused 94 points that just means he aced 94 times he probably caused triple that amount in forcing uh, bad passes forcing passes that were barely saved and resulted in free balls things like that so well done, Leon. Obviously, easily the best server in volleyball. Has an argument for best server of all time. Best player in the game. And I think now that he's playing in the Italian League, I wouldn't. he got a lot of Champions League recognition. Also, a lot of people watched him that way. But I think now people in Italy especially see that he really is as good as advertised. And he's on the pathway to greatest volleyball player of all time, in my opinion. He's on the path. He's not there yet by any means. But if he keeps doing what he's doing, keeps his head down, keeps getting those aces, I think he will definitely, possibly, maybe get there eventually. My loser of the weekend is just 
shared by every club that didn't make the playoffs. A lot of you fought hard, a lot of you didn't seem to fight that hard, but you'll be going early. We won't be talking about you anymore. Now we're focusing on the teams that matter, the playoff teams. Regular season is fun, but this is what pro sports is all about. It's all about win or go home, and not everyone makes the cut, so all those teams, they all get my loser of the week. And now for the best performances of the week. We had Luca Vittori scoring 27 points against Monza. Simone Ginelli in the same game on the same team. Seven points. Pretty good uh, point total for a setter with four blocks. Four blocks, Ginelli. That's not actually that rare for him. Two aces and a kill and over 50% hitting for Trentino. We also had Max Holt in Modena versus Verona. Against the pretty tough middle matchups. Rona has some good middles, but he got 15 points, 10 out of 15 hitting, 4 blocks, and an ace. So, really went toe-to-toe with Sebastian Soleil in that game. He'll be a big part of Modena's playoff run. But my performance of the week, or weekend, because realistically this is only from the weekend games, because I talked about Champions League last week. But anyway, Fernando Hernandez, who was actually very close also to getting that scoring title. With 35 points with on 25 of 49 kills, 7 aces, and 3 blocks. That is a stat sheet stuffing performance. Got the win, finally! Siena, they got the win in 5 sets against Ravenna. So, you know, as disastrous and horrible and terrible and disappointing of a season they've had, you know, at least they closed it out on a win, but... That's the last we'll be hearing of Siena for at least a year and a half. Maybe they'll win the A2 and get promoted again. Who knows, but competition's pretty fierce down there right now. There's actually some pretty decent teams in A2. Looking like it's going to be Piacenza. Promoted again this year, by the way, in case you were wondering. But that's always fun to keep an eye on who's going to get that promotion. The next thing I'm going to talk about is my personal pick for the best team possible to make in the Super League this season. So this is a thing that's popular in a lot of other sports where you pick the uh, best team from the players uh, that participated in the season and kind of pick the best players from each position, but doesn't seem to be that popular in volleyball. I think it's a really fun exercise to go through all the names and all the performances this season and see who, you know, who stood out as the top players, the players to remember from this season of volleyball. So the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to pick a first team, which is kind of the top seven guys, two outsides, two middles, opposite Sutter Libero, and then also do a second team, kind of recognizing those guys who are still really good, but not quite at the top. So I'll just do it by position, starting with outside hitters, the best player, and also my pick for MVP, and also the real MVP, Wilfredo Leon, obviously more than deserving incredible player best player in volleyball talked about him earlier when we talked about the aces but here is stats for the season 5.1 points per set 16.7 percent passing which you know if there was one knock against him it's definitely his passing especially on float serves is not his strongest suit but then you see the other stats 59.5 kill percentage just absurd higher than the majority of middles and then of course 94 aces on the season just incredible stuff from leon but a guy who is almost equally as impressive on the stat sheet actually <laughs> except for the aces of course but Urosh kovacevic 
the Serbian lefty outside hitter, had 4.2 points per set, 25% perfect passing, so significantly better than Leon there, 52.4 kill percentage, only 34 aces. You know, for a regular guy, that'd actually be pretty good. But <laughs> when you put it in the context of Leon, he only has a third of Leon's aces. But then 11 MVPs on the season. So was only one less than Wilfredo Leon's 12 MVPs. So actually, Kovacevic is, was kind of seen as the linchpin behind Trentino's a little bit surprising success this season. And 11 MVPs, that's huge. Very close to actually winning MVP of the Super League. But I don't think they're ever going to give it to anyone but Leon. So those two are on my first team, and then on my second team, pretty close behind. Last year's MVP, I have Osmani Wantarena with 4.26 points per set, 25% perfect passing. So actually pretty good from Wantarena. 54.6 kill percentage, 6 MVPs. And while Wantarena looks frustrated and mad, and we always complain about him, and you know everyone's like, oh, Wantarena's lost a step this year. He's not as good as he was last year. I mean, you look at the stat sheet and, you know, you can't argue with those numbers. Those are just incredible. Just really efficient passing, really efficient hitting, you know, got the blocks, got the aces, got the scoring. Just still an incredible player playing at an extremely high level. And, you know, most of the time he would be on the first team if it wasn't just for absolutely outstanding performances from Leon and Kovacevic. And then my fourth outside... You know, I'm so happy this guy's on here, guys. One of my favorite players to watch, one of my favorite players in volleyball, Trevor Cleveneau. Huge performances. One of the main reasons for Milano's success, especially in the second half of the season, came on super strong. Not as gaudy numbers as the other guys, but here we go. 3.47 points per set, 49 kill percentage, 21.7 passing percentage. You know, not the biggest numbers ever, but six MVPs goes to show how important he is to Milano definitely the leader on that team you know just makes so many good plays on the ball just an absolutely incredible out of system hitter I really hope he gets the opportunity to play for the French national team this year next I'll do opposites and these are guys that will be very familiar to listeners who have listened to this podcast before or follow volleyball in any capacity Alexander Atanasijevic 4.76 points per set 0.7 aces per set I think he had 62 aces on the season, which was very, very close to setting the all-time aces record in his own right. So I think if Wilfredo Leon doesn't exist, I think we see this as one of the best serving seasons ever, but he has definitely been overshadowed in that respect. And then we have 55 kill percentage, four MVPs on the season. You know, he had to split a lot of them with guys like Leon and Echeko. So great season from Atanasjevic. You know, we've always seen he's always been an absolutely incredible club team player. And then a knock on him is that he doesn't perform quite as well playing for the Serbian national team. So hopefully this summer he's able to kind of shake that reputation and play well for Serbia. On the second team, not far behind. I could have gone with either of these guys, but Sveden Sokolov with 3.89 points per set, 53 kill percentage, half a block per set. Which, you know, it sounds like I'm talking about a middle here, but no, this is this is an opposite. And then five MVPs, you know, keeps doing his thing, getting a bit older, but, and it kind of showed early on in the season, but he seems to be like in some of the best shape of his career right now. He's jumping really well. He's reading the blocks really well. He's reading the attacks really well, getting a ton of blocks as Sokolov tends to do in the opposite possession, probably the best opposite blocker in the world. And, you know, just 
absolutely crucial offensive weapon for Bruno and Lube, and I'm glad he's playing so well. Now on to middle blockers on the first team. The first guy I'm going to talk about, Sebastian Soleil, coming over from Argentina. 2.5 points per set, led all middles in total points. 0.72 blocks per set, another didn't you know honestly until this season i didn't realize how devastating of a blocker sebastian sole is he's very quick on his feet and has an excellent read for the ball really good at getting out to the pins also 61.6 kill percentage three mvps for the season huge part of verona's success really devastating attacker and again i didn't realize that blocking was such an important part of his game the other middle streko lizanach you know this is actually tougher than you might think, just because he missed he missed basically the last you know fifth of the season uh, due to an injury that we're not too familiar with. I'm not exactly sure what his injury is, but anyway, his, his stats still ended up being incredibly impressive: 2.76 points per set, 0.53 blocks per set, 65% kill percentage, and five MVPs on the season. Even though he missed so much time, so we all know Lizanach is one of the best middles in the world, especially from an offensive perspective. Getting him from Scraw was a huge deal for Trentino, really added to their options in the middle. And I think Lizanach has really worked on his defense this year. That's a noticeable improvement I've seen from him. His blocking is a lot tighter. He's reading the ball a bit better. So I'm glad he's added that element to his game because he's always been an absolute monster offensively. But I'm glad now we're seeing you know, his focus on the defense. Not that he was ever bad at it before. But I think it's an area of focus and improvement for him that's paid off dividends. Second team, you know, both these guys were pretty close to the first team. But Victor Yosefov, 2.3 points per set, 0.75 blocks per set, 57 kill percentage, and two MVPs on the season. Yosefov is seen as a blocking specialist a lot of the time. He's always one of the best blockers in all the international events for Bulgaria. And, you know, he was really important in that respect for Monza. He cleaned up a lot of the messes and inconsistencies of their young team. But I think he's also was pretty very effective from the service line for Monza and also was just, you know, kind of an older, uh, mature veteran presence for the young guys. I think that's an underrated part of what Yosefov brings to a team. And I think it's a really important part of succeeding in volleyball. And I think that's why Monza was able to do so much better than their kind of disappointing season last year. I think Yosefov was a huge pickup from Piacenza, and hopefully Monza resigns him last year because I think he was fit perfectly on that team. Then the other middle, Marco Perdrashinen, 2.26 points per set, 0.53 blocks per set, a staggering 72.2 kill percent. I couldn't believe that number when I saw it. And only one MVP. Come on. Come on, the media voters. Perdrashinen's you know, he's, he's not flashy. He's not putting up those super, super high-scoring numbers. But you can be sure, when Podrashinen gets the ball, he is scoring. I mean, 72.2 kill percentage is so far above uh, what you would expect out of anyone in the league. Just super efficient. I mean, he is getting set by Luciano De Cecco, so that helps. But especially given that uh, Perugia was one of the worst passing teams in the league. The fact that he's able to be so efficient is a testament to what a smart hitter he is. And obviously, we know we know how good of a blocker he is. He's been doing it for Serbia for years. So, Pedrashin and worthy addition to the second team for middles. For setters on the first team, we have you know this setters. This is the one I struggled with. Those top four guys: Giannelli, Christensen, Dejceko, 
and Bruno. You could pretty much put any of them on the first and second teams. They're all huge parts of their teams and massive parts of their success and identities. But for the first team, I went with Simone Giannelli. Here are his stats. 0.94 points per set, almost a point per set as a setter. That helps a lot. I know people like to say, you know, blocking and serving and scoring don't really matter for setters, but I think having another player on the floor, that's going to put up a big block, especially against outsides who are going to get a ton of usage. And, you know, having someone who's going to get put a lot of service pressure on your opponents, I think that's super valuable regardless of what position it's coming from. And I think Gina, and it's not like Gianelli's a bad setter either. The guy's incredible. He brought, uh, okay, so here are stats. 0.41 blocks per set, easily first among setters. And then Trentino hit 42.3% this year, and Gianelli earned himself two MVPs for the season. And I think, you know, obviously Gianelli been an MVP of the Super League before, but we forget that he's still only 22 and improving every year. We've seen his blocking improve a lot. He's really getting up there. His physicality has gotten better. We've seen him become, he's the undisputed leader of Trentino. He's the guy that everyone looks to in huddles, even though he's one of the youngest players on the team. And I think any team with Gianelli on it is going to be massively improved. I think he's been hiding some of the weaknesses of the Italian national team the last few years, and will probably continue to do so for the next decade. And of course, is twice as valuable in the Italian Super League because he is Italian and you don't have to use up a foreign player spot. On the second team, I went with Luciano De Cecco, Perugia with an absolutely blistering, amazing offense this year. Even though their passing was nowhere to be found, one of the worst passing teams, one of the best hitting teams. So it, I mean, obviously their hitters are absolutely incredible. Wilfredo Leon is the best out-of-system hitter in the entire world. Probably Eitan Asadjevic might be second on that list. But Luciano Di Cecco does a great job of keeping the middles involved. You know, we've seen it so many times. That legendary run where he set Fabio Ricci five times in a row in like an important Champions League match. Plays like that are what makes Di Cecco. He's super creative, super ballsy, uh, really fun to watch. Maybe the best hands in volleyball. Can put the ball anywhere. And led Perugia to 57.4% team hitting this year. Absolutely incredible. With half a point per set and three MVPs for his performance. And last but not least, we have the libero position. And the first one is not going to be a surprise to anyone because it's Grabenikov. And until someone proves it otherwise, I'm always going to put Grabenikov as the best libero in whatever tournament he's taking part of in because he's just that good. 35%, 0.6% passing, but no MVPs. What What is the deal, guys? I know the media doesn't like to vote liberos for MVPs, but Grubenikov just steadied that passing rotation by so much and also made so many incredible rally-saving digs, set-saving digs. You gotta at least give him a couple. I, I don't like that he didn't get any MVPs. He definitely deserved at least a couple, but obviously Trentino stacked with ridiculous amounts of talent this year. And, you know, they gave Kovacevic 11 MVPs, so those have got to come from somewhere. And on the second team, we have rookie to the Italian Super League, Argentinian libero Santiago Donani, led the entire league in passing at 38.9%. Really good number. Very integral to Padova's side-out offense. Also, no slouch in the defense either. Really good with his hands, really quick on his feet. And again, no MVPs for our liberos. Guys like Daniele DePandi got an MVP. 
Belasso got an MVP, and those guys had terrible seasons. Where are the MVPs for Grabenikov and Denani? Anyway, whatever. We know who the good liberos are. We know Grabenikov is amazing. We know Denani's amazing. And while liberos might not be superstars, they may not be getting scoring all the points, they might not be getting those huge contracts, a difference between a good libero and a bad libero can still be the difference between a championship and a loss in the second round. So don't neglect your liberos, guys. They are an important position. All right, I think that's enough podcasting for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Lots of exciting, exciting playoff matchups going on right now. I know I only talked about Italy, but we also have playoffs starting on Wednesday in Poland. We have playoffs starting last weekend already in Brazil. We have playoffs starting soon in Russia. So everything's going on right now. We have the CV Cup. Congrats to Trentino. We have the CEV Challenge Cup finals happening tomorrow between Belgorod and Monza. Just so much good volleyball on right now. The next few months are just going to be fantastic, basically, until the start of next club season from now. Filled to the brim with amazing volleyball. I'm looking forward to it. I want to hear your playoff predictions if you have any. And if you have any comments, you know where to reach me either by email at 51VB at gmail.com or at 51VB on Instagram or comment on the website 51VB.com. Check all those places regularly so I will be in touch with you. Anyway, hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for listening.